All right, it's the first and moose week seven reaction of the NFL. I'm Connor Taylor. With me is Mark Schuster and our special guest of the week, Patrick McCabe. How are you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain right now. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good week in the NFL. I mean, the the best game, the one me and Mark were most excited about, Steelers Titans, started out being a little bit kind of not so exciting. I mean, the Steelers at one point were up, I mean, by pretty much three touchdowns, and it did not look like an exciting game whatsoever, Mark. But, I mean, since the NFL-AFL merger, there have been six contestants that paired two 5-0 two and o teams together. The first five winners made the Super Bowl. So we have to obviously wait and see if the Steelers continue that trend but after this game, do you think the Steelers are a Super Bowl team? Uh, yeah, I do. I think this is a pretty complete football team, if we're going to be honest. Uh, not to humble brag at all, but going into the year, I said people need to watch out for the Steelers. The Steelers team's got everything they need. It, it was just dependent on if Ben Roethlisberger was going to be the guy. Um, but, uh, excuse me, I just got interrupted there. My uh, tab just started playing audio. <laughs> but uh, regardless... <laughs> They, they've got everything that you want in a football team. You've got a relentless defense, and that's something you really need to, to win a super defense that can make big plays. They don't necessarily have to be the best defense, but the Steelers are one of the best defenses in the NFL. And then on top of that, you've got an offense that knows how to get things done. You, you don't have a superstar wide receiver anymore. You don't have an Antonio Brown or anything like that, but you've got a bunch of capable wide receivers and Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, Eric Ebron is playing in good form right now. And then you've got an adequate running back in James Conner, and things are clicking. Ben Roethlisberger knows how to win. He's already done it two times. Granted, those were a long time ago now in hindsight. But all in all, this team has got all the pieces that you need to compete and win the Super Bowl. I think the Steelers team should be up there with uh, the, the handful of teams that we could expect to be there and uh, to win it all this season. and. They're, they're equipped for the playoffs. This is a team that is ready to take on any team in the NFL and ready to on top. They have a big game this next week that I'm really excited about. Yeah, they, they have another huge game against the Ravens this week. But do you agree with him, Patrick, that this is a Super Bowl contending team? I think so, too. Um, I do think that Pittsburgh offense is just – I mean, when you have Juju, Deontay Johnson – Chase Claypool, James Conner, and then you have Ben Roethlisberger. Like you said, he's won two Super Bowls already. It's a very potent offense. However, that defense, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit cautious about because they did lose one of their best linebackers, Devin Bush, who was a great, great in the run, and he was great at coverage. So I'm a little bit hesitant. And then there's, you know, a team called the Kansas City Chiefs. I do think it's going to go down to four teams in the end. It's going to be the Steelers, Ravens. Titans and the Chiefs and I think the Chiefs will make it to the Super Bowl only because their offense is easily the is the best in the NFL so I think this I think the Chiefs make it out but the Steelers are going to be a very very tough competitor to beat yeah I in the beginning of this year I called the Steelers a a boring good team and honestly the the defense seemed very fun to watch, especially in the beginning, they came out with uh, momentum. They seemed like they had an identity, and 
TJ Watt has quickly become one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, he's back in the backfield constantly, and it made it uh, very strugglesome to get Derrick Henry going because, I mean, he didn't have time to read where he had to go. I mean, there was always, it always seemed like there was a defender, especially in the first half, right up on him. Yeah, you know, last week I mentioned that the only guy on the field that I could see that was wrapping up Derrick Henry single-handedly in that Texans-Titans game was J.J. Watt. I said that he was able to get his arms around him and bring him down all by himself. And then we watched T.J. Watt, his brother, do the exact same thing. So that was kind of an interesting little connection between the two games that you don't get to see too often. And T.J. Watt has the recipe to do it as well. I don't know how many players in the NFL can consistently wrap up Derrick Henry, but if you're in that category, you're in an esteemed group of defenders, uh, linebackers, linemen, guys along those lines. And, I mean, the Watt brothers are definitely two of the guys in there, and, I mean, they're two of the best defensive players in the NFL. I don't think there's anything arguing against that. Yeah, there's there's definitely nothing arguing against that. But, the obviously, the Titans – choose a route of running back first and choosing to, to lead the way. But in today's NFL, would you rather build your franchise around a running back or a wide receiver right now? And then I have a couple comparisons of if you choose like a Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara and stuff like that. Uh, for me, I think that having in a given season – having a valuable running back is more crucial than having a valuable wide receiver. Now, if we're going to start playing the comparison game of which running back or which wide receiver, then this gets a little, but if this running back's really, or the wide receiver is really good, I think I want the running back because you could get by with an average wide receiving core. If your quarterback play is good enough. So I guess that would be another another uh, variable to my answer to this. But in a blank slate, I think I'm taking a running back because a running back come playoff time, a running back in, in, in games, they make big plays that go underappreciated a lot, and they make plays that can set this tone for games over and over again. Derrick Henry did not have a fantastic game yesterday, and Bill was a guy that the Steelers could had to keep their eye out on and it resulted in Ryan Tannehill having a better day. And that's the other big thing. I don't think a great wide receiver does as much to propel the running back as a great running back does to propel a wide receiver. So having a great running game opens up your playbook so much, whereas if you're passing the ball over and over again because you're relying on a great wide receiver, I think you, you, you get a little less creative as far as your playbook is concerned. Yeah, I can definitely attest with that on with you, Mark. Um, I do think that with any good offensive playbook, you need to have, you need to have a good run game. If you just have a good pass game and you can't run the ball, they're just going to run dime the entire time. And they're going to have four or five cornerbacks and you're not going to get anything done with an offense like Tennessee, where they have Derrick Henry, who, I mean, we've seen it. We saw him last year in the playoffs can be a very dominant offensive weapon they don't have the – I mean, they have a, a decent wide receiving core. A.J. Brown is obviously the number one he got drafted last year. He's a solid wide receiver, but they real like they're a ground-and-pound game. So if he gets – like if 
if he doesn't work out, like we saw it yesterday, like if he doesn't run well, that offense gets like struggles. Um, so you, re- I do think that I would want to build my, um, I would want to build my team around the running back, just because you can have that running back come out of the backfield. You can have him block. You can have him run up the middle, run outside. Um, so I think running backs are a little bit more versatile, and in the end, it's probably going to help your offense to be more versatile. Um, so. I would like to point out, though, there is the one counter argument to this uh, that I will concede, and that's that a running back shelf life isn't very long. So if we're talking about a franchise, there, there may be a counterpoint to, to talk about how long-lasting a running back is versus a wide receiver. Because, like, think about – and I know this guy's a little bit of an exception – but think about how long Julio Jones has been playing top-level football. And think about anybody who is old as he is that's still running the ball at a high level. There, there isn't a running back that's doing that right now. None of them last that long. So if, you, if you're thinking long-term, maybe there's a point for a receiver. But I still think a running back at their best is much more effective than a wide receiver at their best. I completely agree with you guys. I think a running back matters more to a team. And – the shelf life point is a good point to bring up because you're thinking a long-term franchise, you might obviously end up going wide receiver. And March, you mentioned earlier that, you know, it, it kind of changes with the variables if you go team by team. But I picked, I've got four teams here that have, a, I would say, top tier running backs and top tier uh, wide receivers, you could argue. And obviously it's going to change with the QB and the system and what team needs more. But if you had to choose to keep one and get rid of one, I was thinking we could go through that. The first one I had up was Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara. I'd have to go with Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is so versatile, and he's one of my favorite running backs in the NFL because of his ability to really be a pounding running back up the middle. You could do stretch plays, swing plays with him, and he's such – a threat in the passing game as well that I think Alvin Kamara is such a huge part of that Saints offense and sometimes I think he gets underutilized there uh, I like Michael Thomas a lot but Michael Thomas doesn't uh, propel a team as much as a good running back does I, I go with Alvin Kamara here yeah I'd have to agree I think Alvin Kamara um, I'd rather keep the Michael Thomas um, I feel like Michael Thomas is definitely he talks he talks a lot of smack um, which is not a bad thing by any stretch but when you're injured, um, you get you like you don't play a game last week just because he was like fighting with teammates. It's a little bit like like you don't I don't know if I would I'd be okay with getting rid of a top like level talent wide receiver um, if I can keep a top a top level talent running back who I mean he really like we haven't really seen too many problems with him. Um, he hasn't really gotten into many, much trouble. And I would say I probably want to keep Kamara just because he's that much more versatile and he's healthy. Yeah, not to mention Drew Brees will do just fine with other wide receivers if we're talking about the quarterback in this situation too. This one, it's not the hardest one on the list from my perspective, but Ezekiel Elliott or Amari Cooper? See, I think that's actually kind of tough. And because Ezekiel Elliott has been wildly inefficient recently, he hasn't been thick. And Amari Cooper, I think, is an underrated wide receiver. His route running ability is second to maybe Devontae Adams. I think he's the only route runner in the NFL better than Amari Cooper. That guy is very polished in his game. But you're putting me on right here. I'm still... If we're talking this season, 
and we're talking about a team, a player, the Cowboys are sacrificing. Jeez. If Dak Prescott's playing, let's, let's say this is a Dak Prescott led team. I, I want Zeke. I want to keep Zeke. I think that they have enough talent in that wide receiving core outside of Amari Cooper, that it would still be fine. And uh, drop off from Ezekiel Elliott to Tony Pollard is still significant. And you want to have that running threat, which probably which helps the Cowboys' offense be as high powered in the passing game as it is, because you have to respect Zeke, even if Zeke is not having the best season. Yeah, I'd have to again. I'd have to agree with you on that one, Mark. I feel like the Cowboys do have a very solid wide receiving core. They do have C.D. Lamb, who. I still think is going to be one of the best wide receivers to come out of this class. And I feel like he's going to be the number one down the line. Um, However, I do think you would have to, I think you would have to get rid of Amari Cooper over Zeke just because Zeke, even though, I mean, he hasn't really, he hasn't put, he, he's very inconsistent and he hasn't played great this year, but he still is a headache for defenses at the end of the day. And they always have to game plan around if, is he going to – like, how much is he going to get? Like, how many carries is he going to get? Like, where is he going to go? So, the defense is always going to have to worry about him and what he's going to do just because he has that versatility that not a ton of running backs have. Yeah, I think the drop-off is is bigger from running back than wide receiver there. So, I think in that situation, you got to get rid of Amari Cooper if you're in that situation. But we, we do one more, and I think this is the hardest one, at least from my perspective. And I was thinking about it. I'm not sure which way I would go. It's Devonta Adams or Aaron Jones. Yeah, that is tough. Um, in that wide receiving core, I'm going Devonta. I'm going to go with him because, first off, I think Jamal Williams is pretty good. Uh, I think he's a decent running back. But also – Aaron Rodgers needs a guy. And, and right now, you, you need the guy to throw to. And we saw just how important Devontae Adams is to an offense yesterday. The dude was targeted all over creation against the Texans, and he ate it up. It was ridiculous. I benefited from it in one of my fantasy leagues. So I, I, I'm very happy to see it. But the guy, and like I said earlier, best route runner in the NFL, and I think should be in five top three conversation for best wide receiver in the NFL a lot of people don't think about him in that regard because he's not making fancy catches he's not bullying people like Julio Jones but the guy is so sharp and so incredible what he does that I mean the stats speak for itself Aaron Rodgers is performance themselves when Devontae Adams is on the field in this situation I think Aaron Jones is, is a great running back but I in this scenario think that Devontae Adams propels this team further than uh, Aaron Jones does. And that's, I mean, that's tough because Aaron Jones is also a valuable asset to this team. I think, it, again, that I, that might be a tough one, honestly, because um, Aaron Jones is just an electric running back. We've seen that. He had a great 2019. He's having a great year this far, this year so far. But, I mean, we saw it in the draft. They didn't pick a wide receiver. Do we have any idea why? No. Have they picked a wide receiver in the first round or any single running back? No. In the last 15 years? No, they have not, which is why Devontae Adams is so valuable to that offense. 
And again, like with Mark said, Jamal Williams is a capable, capable backup. If he gets a starting role, he's, he's more than capable to be the starter. So I think I would much rather give up Aaron Jones than Devontae Adams just because the Packers really haven't drafted a like capable wide receiver besides Devontae Adams in the last, I don't know, since, since Aaron Rodgers has been the quarterback. So I think I would much rather have Devontae Adams and I would get rid of Aaron Jones. To be fair, they haven't really drafted a high-level running back recently until just A.J. Dillon. It's been quite a while since, as Aaron Rodgers said going in, he'd love to see them draft a skill position player up high. And, you know, we know what happened, but it is interesting. The way the Packers run their organization is definitely a different model than most teams run by. Yeah, and I, I think it, especially after last week, you think Jamal Williams can come in there and fill in nicely instead of, there's really not many other wide receivers on that squad. And it seems like the yeah. Packers organization does value the running back right now a little bit more, but we can talk more about the games. And I think an interesting one that happened, Mark was the one you paid attention, the 49ers Patriots. I mean, what, what happened there? Yeah. So that was an astonishing game to watch. Um, I didn't have to take too many notes because what I saw in the first quarter, second quarter, was really the story throughout the entire game. So first off, one thing I thought was interesting was the fact that the 49ers can roll with literally any running back they plug into their system. Jeff Wilson decided that he was going to be and it wasn't his decision, but Jeff Wilson was the main guy in their offense yesterday, running back with uh, Raheem Mostert out. When in games past, it was Jarek McKinnon who took up that role. But Wilson came in and did and Hasty also came in and played a little bit over Jerick McKinnon again. Like it, it's very interesting that Mike Shanahan definitely just four of running backs at his disposal that he throws in at his will, depending on matchups, depending on who they're up against, or maybe just to shake it up so then teams can get confused as to what to expect on Sundays. Um, but overall, all of them have been efficient. Jarek McKinnon didn't have a lot of time yesterday, but we've seen him in the past do well. Jeff Wilson did great yesterday. He was vicious with his cuts. He was able to take space. He, he did damage wherever damage needed to be done. And then Hasty did the exact same thing in his limited touches. But uh, that was something I really took away. Um, on top of that, San Francisco in general on offense, I, I think the, the reports of concern for Jimmy Garoppolo are overblown. I think uh, you can look at his, and now see why they performed the way they did against Miami and and realize that Jimmy Garoppolo is fine, and he is the guy I thought he was uh, going into this year. They're composed. They reflect that composure when Jimmy Garoppolo is in. Uh, guys will – their offense just clicks, and it works however Mike Shanahan decides it's going to work on a given drive. Some drives they decide to go with George Kittle over and over again, and it works. Some drives decide to go with Jeff – Wilson over and over again and some drives they decided to go with hasty and it worked and then other weeks it's McKinnon it their their offense Debo Samuel they they all have their little quirks and cogs that work very efficiently in their offense and Mike Shannon at hand it, it almost seems he just has plays drawn up for each individual player on that offensive roster and any given drive he just decides who's going to be the star of the drive and they roll with all the different kind of design plays meant for them so Ayuka's in that conversation as well. 
it's just all very well done. And uh, on top of that, when you account for the lack of talent on that Patriots defense, I think Mike Shanahan knew where they wanted their matchups because they knew they had the better players and they just abused it all game. They abused the bad matchups and Bill Belichick couldn't about it. No matter you couldn't scheme away uh, drawn up runs where Debo Samuel is on one of those poor corners every single time because Debo Samuel just beat him over and over and over again. And it didn't matter that they were running a zone, that they were running man, that they were running anything weird on defense because all in all, they were getting just picked apart schematically. And that's what Mike Shanahan does. And I thought it was interesting to see that happen to uh, Bill Belichick, but uh, that's what happened. And I think, Partially it happened because there is just such a lack of talent on the Patriots team right now that Bill can't really do too much crazy with it because he doesn't have the guys to, to do anything crazy. Um, Cam Newton, we need to talk about him. He is – it's astounding, if we're going to be honest, because I don't know if you guys watched the Patriots play the Seahawks. Cam Newton looked phenomenal. He was composed. He was making all the right decisions. He would tuck and run at times to really shake things up. The guy looked ready for big games. And then these past two weeks have looked like bottom of the barrel Cam Newton. The guy is not making throws. He's missing reads. He's overthrowing passes. He had two really bad picks. And then a third pick that was partially his full. He threw it behind his receiver and then got tipped up and caught. But that was rough. That was a terrible performance from Cam Newton, and that needs to change quickly. I thought maybe it was just a last week was just an illusion. It was a combination of bad things. You know, he got COVID. He had a short practice week. Things just didn't go well. The Broncos defense threw him off his game. But, I mean, I don't think there was too much that the 49ers defense did that really messed him up again today. I think Cam Newton was just off, and it, that's a concerning thing for this Patriots team. And then – uh, I guess the last thing, Jared Stidham came in and he didn't look good. Cam Newton's the guy. He's going to be the quarterback uh, for the rest of the season, at least, because Jared Stidham didn't look any more impressive to me than he has. Um, and then I guess the the main takeaways from this is that I, I guess I got to back up on my words, uh, backtrack on my words, I guess is the better way to put it, on the 49ers as well as the Patriots. I said yesterday on our show that this was sort of a crossroads game uh, because I had thought so highly of the Patriots and said they were going to be great. And I said that I was scratching the 49ers off of the playoffs, uh, but proving me wrong these past uh, two weeks. And now here we are. Those crossroads continue to go in those same directions. The Patriots are two and four. How, how strange is that? I don't think I can remember a time the Patriots were two and four in my entire life. I, not even the year Tom Brady went down and Mac that quarterback like this this is uncharted territory and you, you when you watch this team they're not great at least not these past two weeks which is a stark contrast to what we saw when first off when they played the Seahawks but also when they competed with the Chiefs with Brian Hoyer at quarterback like these are different team from then and they got to get it fixed quickly or else they're going to find themselves trailing behind even second place in the division. I mean, playing well right now. So that's the big thing with them. And as far as San Francisco is concerned, I mean, it's so hard, though, to, to be sold on them because their schedule is still brutal. 
yeah, they've gotten through the first two games, but it seems like those first two in this ruthless stretch are the easiest ones because now you've got Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans. You've got the Rams again, which maybe you can beat. And then you have the Bills. Like, this, this is far from over for the 49ers. Yeah, you won two games in this rough slate, but you also lost two games prior to that slate that you really should not have lost if you were going to try to make it into the playoffs. So this 49ers team is not as in dire straits as I thought they were, but I, I'm still stuck on being convinced they're going to be in the playoffs because they still – I could see them losing their next four games still. Like, that's that's a very real possibility. So, I'd say that's the, that's the big thing for them. In any other division, I think they'd be competing for a playoff spot. But this is a ruthless division they're playing in, and they have a ruthless slate of games. All in all, Patriots are not a great football team right now. They're not even a good football team right now. And the 49ers are good, but I don't know if they're good enough. And I think that sums up everything I got from this game. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that, Mark. Um, I just don't – I think it was a matter of old school versus new school. Bill Belichick obviously being the old school coach. He's been coaching for, what, 30 years now at this point. And Kyle Shanahan, I mean, he's relatively – I mean, he's relatively young. He's only like 30-something. He's been coaching for three or four years now. So, I think it's a matter of – I don't know if this Patriots team is going to be ever the same without Tom Brady. I don't know if that's ever going to happen just because Tom Brady was that he, again, he was the guy like we all grew up as Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl, then another one and another one. And we seeing it, we see him doing it down in Tampa Bay. So I really think this Patriots offense was built around Tom. And even, even though Cam came in, I mean, Bill Belichick, it's going to be hard for Belichick to like change. If I mean, 20 years of, Tom Brady to now a versatile running quarterback. So I think it's going to be really tough um, for him to be able to do that. Um, But I do think this new England team isn't going to be making it too far in the playoffs. I do think, however, this 49ers team is probably going to make it far in the playoffs. I really think in a very, I wouldn't want to say easy NFC. It's just not that good. I mean, we all know the NFC East is not that good. As an Eagles fan, it hurts saying that, but the NFC East is not that good. I mean, I could see this 49ers team making it again to a potential Super Bowl or an NFC championship. So, Yeah, I'd have to say I disagree with you there, Patrick. I don't think this 49ers team is quite in that NFC teams. You're right in the regards that the NFC is not as strong as it's been in years past, but I still think that the Seahawks, the Saints – the uh, the Packers are all significantly better teams. And coincidentally, they're the next three teams they have to play. And I think that's going to be a three-loss stretch. And I don't think the Seahawks lose two games in a row. So I think that's out of those three teams, that's the one the 49ers have the best chance against. And I I just don't see it happening this year. I, I don't I don't see a deep playoff run. I struggle to think of them making even making the playoffs, even though I do like this 49ers squad. I just think that in the division they're in, uh, it's going to be tough. And their schedule does not help them. It, with an easier schedule, they make it. But I, I don't know if it's the, in the works this year unless they can really uh, continue to up their game. And if Mike Shanahan can continue to outcoach teams, which may happen, but I'm not going to put my bets on it. 
And I think one thing I want to touch on is I, for the longest time, people would say that Tom Brady was a system quarterback. I think tons of people still believe that. And I've, I've called him a system quarterback in, in my time. But, I mean, is this sort of looking bad for Josh McDaniels? I mean, is Josh McDaniels more tied to Tom Brady than Tom Brady is the system? Because Josh McDaniels, 134 and 39 with Brady and 28 and 41 without Brady. And then 27 points per game with Brady and only 18.7 points per game without Brady. So do you think this is more of like a reflection on Josh McDaniels, how this offense is doing and how Tom Brady has gone down to the box and continue to do very well? You know, that's a good question and a good observation. I think Josh McDaniels definitely benefited from having Tom. I know we, uh, Patrick mentioned the, the 20 years plus uh, experience of Bill Belichick, but I, I always thought of Belichick as kind of a versatile kind of changes his scheme every year, regardless Whereas Josh McDaniels very well could be someone who relies on the uh, on consistency, and without Tom Brady there, who is the definition of consistency, the guy is he doesn't make mistakes, and that's always been the big thing about Tom Brady is he doesn't make poor decisions. And with Cam Newton, he's not in the same headspace as Tom Brady, not even close. That was one of my concerns with Cam Newton as a Panther was I thought his decision making at times was poor. And now you've got to handle that. And then back in his time with when he was the Denver Broncos head coach, if I remember correctly, he had Jay Cutler as his quarterback and Jay Cutler is not a shabby quarterback. And if he wasn't able to make it work with him that, and he needs a guy like Tom Brady uh, to coordinate, then you're not going to have too many quarterbacks to coordinate in the NFL because uh, I hate to tell you this, but they don't make Tom Brady too often. I think you're on to something there. I think that the next coming weeks are going to be very telling for this Patriots organization moving forward. Is this going to be, what was the Brady Belichick marriage, just a, a perfect place, perfect time spelled out for this dynasty that they had, or is the Patriots organization really just that strong and that capable? I think we're about to find out these next few weeks because they're getting challenged because they don't have talent. Their quarterback is struggling. They don't have their they don't have their Super Bowl darling anymore in Tom Brady, and they don't have weapons around their quarterback. Like this is a beleaguered team, uh, talent wise. Like I know that's a driven home narrative, but if you go and look at that roster and that depth chart, I bet you don't even recognize over half the names on it. It's it's pretty astonishing just how barren this team is uh, as far as noticeable names and guys who you know are playmakers. Yeah, I think it'll be definitely interesting to see where where this conversation goes. And I think it we'll see it in a few weeks, and it will probably change, honestly, over the next one to two years, depending how long Brady plays and how quickly this Patriots organization can turn around a two-and-four team and how they do in the next couple of years. But let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone, and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive, I don't have the equipment, it'll be too difficult, I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor, and it's the simplest way to make a podcast 
and I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. And we are back with more First and Moose coverage of the NFL on United to the Moose on 91.7 FM. Connor Taylor, Mark Stonester, and our guest of the week, Patrick McCabe. We had an exciting Sunday night football game last night. Seahawks, Cardinals. I mean, it was, it was a really good one. And I think the, the luck that the Seahawks had playing a bunch of close games seemed like it kind of ran out last night. But it was a really, really weird game overall. And I don't think we should have expected anything differently, though. Yeah, about to say prototypical Cardinal Seahawks game. It went to overtime. There were missed field goals. There were tons of overs and wacky plays. And I, I don't know. I feel like that's just the product that these two create whenever they're on the field at the same time. And now, like, it's, it, it's become clockwork. And, I mean, I could say that I expected it, but even when it happens, it's still surprising. It's still astonishing when it happens because, you know, you're watching a football game and you expect certain things to go down. And then when the polar opposite or when something out of left field happens, it takes you by surprise and it, it shocks you and it's entertaining and talk about, I mean, one of the best games of the season and what a great showcase for Kyler Murray in his Sunday night debut. I mean, we talked about how he doesn't throw for a ton of yards uh, too often, but he had 360 and then also had 60 on the ground. So he really, these past two weeks, he had his Monday night debut and he had his Sunday night debut and he has made the most of it. He had his thrashing of the Cardinals and then giving the Seahawks their first loss of the season in overtime and a thriller. I mean, what can't you like about that? That's just great stuff. And I mean, we could talk about a lot of things about this game, but you know what I'm going to say, and I'll, and I'll hold it at this for right now. We get another one of these later this season. So, I mean, buckle up. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that one. Um, I do think this Cardinals team is, they're not there. They're not going to be making the play. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. That NFC West is just a very tough division. And I don't know, I mean, when you have the Seahawks and the 49ers and the Rams in your division, especially with the way all three of those teams are playing right now, it's just going to be very, very tough. Um, I do think they have a lot of good talent. Again, they have DeAndre Hopkins, who's arguably one of the best wide receivers in the league. Kyler Murray is a very capable quarterback. He's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And then you have two playmakers on that defense as well. Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons, we saw him at Clemson. He got drafted this year. He's one of the most versatile defend, like defenders I've ever seen. I mean, he played, what, like five or six positions at Clemson. So I really think this Cardinals team, especially in these games, like you don't ex- like Mark said, you don't expect these things to happen. You expected a Seahawks win, but we expect we what we saw was a great win by the Cardinals overall. I mean, they played, they just played a great 
game offense, defense, and special teams, especially with that with the um, winning field goal in overtime. Um, so I think that if the Cardinals can continue how they played last game, I think this could be very tell. This could be very interesting to see how this plays out at the end of the season. You know, it's very telling. Uh, Patrick McCabe certified a 49ers fan. Uh, from his observations. No, no, not an actual fan, but a fan of the 49ers. And then not a big Cardinals guy, but you think the 49ers are going to make the playoffs and not the Cardinals, but the Cardinals have a much more favorable schedule and already have five wins. In a seven-seed uh, playoffs, I don't – I mean, I think they only need to win, what, four more make it into the playoffs? I mean, that's what I would think is necessary, and they still have over half the season to go. I mean – I think this Cardinals team is capable of making it into the playoffs. I don't think we'll do too much damage there, but I mean, you look at it, they still have two of the NFC East teams to play. They have dolphins and bills and Patriots. Uh, you've got two games with the Rams still. I think they can split that series at, at worst. And I, I don't know. I think that this team is on their way to making the playoffs after this win. This is huge for their franchise. It's huge for Kyler Murray. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't think there was a chance they were going to win this game after watching the first. I thought this Seahawks team was clicking. And then this Cardinals defense came in the second half, and they made some plays to slow down, in which, I mean, we know how hard that's been to do this season. and give this Seahawks team uh, a loss in a big game in the national spotlight. I think props to the Cardinals for that. Um, there are flaws with this team, but I think they're a playoff side. I think, I think the way the, the future is laid out for them uh, makes um, a great future. And also I'd like to point out that uh, next week they play the Dolphins, which means it's going to be Kyler Murray versus Tua Tagovailoa. And, which is interesting given the fact that the last time those two guys met, it was in the college football playoffs where Tua had the great team and Kyler Murray had to try to carry Oklahoma to victory, where now I think the roles are a little bit flipped. The Cardinals are the team and will have to take on a brand baby-faced uh, Tua Tagovailoa uh, on a Dolphins team that, you know, are, are trying to figure it out and keep themselves in it. I think that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's it was obviously a very interesting game. And then but the thing is I think I'd need a little bit more consistency out of the Cardinals. I think they probably will be a playoff team, but I don't know how far they'll be able to go at the moment. Yeah. I mean, their two losses are kind of weird. They're against the Lions and the Panthers. I think both pretty middle of the pack teams, Lions three and three, Panthers three and four. But right now in the NFL with Russ Wilson, Tyler Lockett obviously had a big game, but do you guys think that's a top five connection currently? Oh, dude, it's been a top five connection. Tyler Lockett has been an underrated uh, receiver in the NFL. He's not a top, top tier receiver, but the connection that he has with Russell Wilson is pretty amazing. Those two guys make it work. They've been making it work for years now. They just are on the same wavelength. Tyler Lockett knows what Russell Wilson wants out of him, and he fulfills out that role. I mean, think about think about in the past three to four years, how many quarterback to wide receiver connections have been that consistent throughout that time? I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is a huge one. Um, and then maybe it was Tom Brady and Julian Edelman uh, at a time, but, I mean, they're not in the same team anymore. 
But I mean, that's those two guys have so much and it's hard because you can't really scheme that. You can't scheme against that because that's a lot of it is just on the fly kind of stuff. Now they have mind routes and run, uh, plays that Wilson just can feel if Lockett's got the win uh, on a route on a cornerback, but a lot of broken plays, a lot of it's reminiscent and probably in a better form of what Randall Cobb used to do with Aaron Rodgers. I felt like Aaron Rodgers on a broken play would always find Randall Cobb somewhere. And I think Tyler Lockett is very similar in that regard where he's not the most talented guy. He's not, you know, going to moss someone. He's not going to Tyree kill dash past someone, but he knows where the soft pockets of the field are. And Aaron Rodgers, or in this case, Russell Wilson knows where that soft pocket is as well. And finds his man to extend a, a drive. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I do think that Tyler Lockett is a very underrated wide receiver in today's NFL. Um, you really don't get too much attention around. I really think, I don't know if this, like other than Russell Wilson, you really don't get like a ton of attention. Tyler Lockett is a very capable wide receiver. Um, and I do agree with you, Mark. I do think that like you, re- they've been very consistent. They're a very solid pairing and they've been together for five, six years, forever, how long uh, Lockett has been in the NFL. So I do think they don't get enough attention. And I do think they should get more attention. Yeah, they, they should definitely get more attention. But uh, another big thing that happened this weekend was Odell Beckham tore his ACL. The game was a close one overall, but I don't think that was the biggest thing to come out of that game for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I don't know what to make from the Browns' perspective of this Odell Beckham injury because Odell Beckham has been such a confounding player in that roster ever since he got there. And the fact that sometimes he he looked like the guy they signed him to be and was crucial to the team. And then there are other weeks he's entirely invisible and you don't know – why you pay him that much money and why why did he ever get the height that he got with the Giants and think the Browns are going to be fine with him I think they've got enough talent by receiving I think Richard Higgins is pretty good obviously you have Jarvis Landry uh Donovan Peoples-Jones made a great play and then you've got two great running backs including a great receiving back in Kareem Hunt and, and then some decent tight ends as well that can all manage I think I don't think this is a huge hit on the Browns. I think it's that one or two games where Odo Beckham just blows up and is crazy for a game. I think they'll miss that when they're trying to, you know, win a game where things aren't going well. But uh, as far as this game is concerned, um, I went in saying that Baker Mayfield needed to, to have a game where he passed all over and, and had a good day. And I mean, look at that 20, uh, completions just under uh, 30 uh, 300 yards five touchdowns including a game-winning drive where they were looking for a field goal and instead they were able to bring it all the way home and, and win the game on an incredible touchdown with 11 seconds to go um i, I guess that's that's what i would have wanted uh, uh you would the browns team of uh, more comfortably won this game against cincinnati but the fact that baker mayfield was able to do it is good forward when they're playing in bigger games. I think you have to start looking at this Browns team as a potential dark horse in this AFC. They're a very talented team. Um, 
although, I mean, OBJ is polarizing and as good a wide receiver as he is, I mean, he's had games where he's just like, he disappeared. Like you said, Mark, he just didn't, like, we didn't see him on the stat sheet. He kind of just, it was more Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, David Njoku. I mean, it's people, the, I know the media is definitely going to be like, oh, it's going to be a huge loss. But like, if you look at it, I think this Browns team is going to be fine. And they have a very capable head coach. You have to start looking at Kevin Stefanski. If the Browns team, if they make the playoffs, I think he could be, he could easily be Actually, with, I mean, the Browns, we all know it. The Browns have been awful pretty much, pretty much all the time. He can somehow pull out a playoff out of this year. With especially with the way that they're playing right now, I think he has to be coach of the year. Um, so I think this Browns team is a potential dark horse too. I mean, it could be like the Titans last year. They Titans, I mean, came out of no. I mean, they didn't really come out of nowhere, but I mean, they they beat the Patriots and they beat the Ravens, who we thought the Ravens were going to make the Super Bowl, and then they almost beat the Chiefs. They were, I mean, they were very close to beating the Chiefs. So I think you could see this Browns team potentially making doing that same thing that the Titans did last year. If that's going to happen, Baker Mayfield has to not beat himself in big games. And that'll be the big thing. And that could happen. But um, I'm not going to believe it until I see that happen. But, I mean, it could, though. It's a very – I mean, that could not, it could just happen in the playoffs if they make it. Um, but I think that is a huge big uh, as far as the potential of that happening. I do think that the Beckham, when they got him, he, he hasn't produced what they were expecting. Nowhere near that. I mean, he's had those games, like you said, Mark, where he blows up, and he probably had a couple more of those, but he's overall been very quiet for the Browns, and it never has seemed like he's made much of a connection with Mayfield. So I don't think it's going to be the biggest miss. I mean, they continue to want to run the ball, and I think that's what they should lean on. And I think they'll be okay. Obviously, you're missing probably your one or two top skill position player depending if you think Nick Chubb is better than Odell I don't know if people believe that but they he's probably more valuable to the team in all honesty but I think they'll they'll end up being all right but the game I paid attention to was the Lions Falcons game and I think this is just you know it's going to prove it over and over again (laughs) is that the Falcons problems run deeper than their head coach and or their their previous head coach and their previous GM. I think most people knew that. I think it's just going to continue to show that it wasn't just a fix like that. It's going to change it all. Obviously, they had to make that fix. But the thing is, to me, still their their weapons are so good on offense, and it's hard when you're watching the game because you're like, how is this team not putting up more points? I mean, they're they have so many great weapons. I mean, Tom Gurley is probably past this time a little bit but you think you'd be able to put up some reputable numbers and be able to carry this team obviously had that weird moment in the end of the game where he should have he recognized it late and uh, tried to not go in the end zone which was really funny because the Lions defensive players were holding up touchdown in a way not celebrating it but were were happy that he scored which is just such a weird photo to look at but Another thing for the Falcons is I really like Hayden Hurst for the Falcons. I think he's he's going to do great things for them in the future. He opens up the field. I don't think he's like 
my favorite like run blocker by any means, but he's a, he's another weapon with, with a team that has plenty of weapons. And we mentioned earlier when we were talking about wide receivers, how Julio Jones has lasted like so, so long, but even if he's coming towards his end of his, his prime, I mean, Calvin really is really good. And I, I think this team, it's maybe I'm crazy and I'm just not willing to admit it, but I still really love this team. And I still really like their offense and even their players on the defensive side. I really like them. It's just like you watch them and you're wondering what's going on. And one thing I realized is that the Falcons have run the most third down plays this year. And obviously you don't want to be playing behind the chains. You don't want the defense to be able to dictate what kind of plays you're able to run. I think that's got to be one of their biggest issues is they're not getting first downs on first or second down they're having to compete on third down the most in the NFL currently and even though I believe they are 44 percent on third down conversion ranks like 12th like that's not awful but still like that's not good when you're running the most third down plays in the NFL but then on the Lions side I mean if the Lions don't sign Kenny Galladay I'm going to be very confused because (laughs) he's like one of their best homegrown players and I don't think they have many homegrown players that are great in town especially on the defensive side and I mean it wouldn't shock me if he ended up walking and going somewhere else if I was Kenny Galladay I would probably want out and just look around and be like maybe this isn't the place for me to be but they they need to sign him he's he's one of the better wide receivers in the NFL right now. Not a top wide receiver, but he's definitely the best for the Lions currently. And then I think when I was watching this game, I think I'm kind of placing the Lions around this Panther squad. I think they're very similar in a, in a way. They're not great. They're good, but nothing too special about them. But the thing is their upcoming schedule, so they're currently ranked three and three. Their upcoming schedule, they have the Colts next week. I expect them to lose that game. Yeah, I think it'll be closer than some people think, so I say three and four. But the four after that, they've got the Vikings, Washington football team, Panthers, and then Texans. That would put them at 7-4 if they won those games. And I think all those games are easily winnable games. And I think, I mean, would it shock you guys if you see the the Lions sneak into uh, the seventh seed in the the wild card weekend? I'd say it'd be shocking. I think that uh, going into the year, we thought this Lions team could be in the playoffs, and then their performances seemed to prove us wrong. But I guess they could flip the script. I it would be a gradual thing that we'd have to realize though through that four game stretch, because uh, at this point in time, I don't exactly consider them a a team I was expecting to see in the playoffs. Yeah. I'd have to say, I think you could potentially see that Lions team sneak in. I think it's going to be, it's not going to be anything higher than that seven seed though. I think it's going to be either the seven seed or just barely going to miss um, the playoffs this year. I do think you have to look at, Besides Kenny Galladay, they have a very capable rookie running back in DeAndre Swift. Um, DeAndre very went to my high school. I've known him for I've known him forever. I've seen him in high school. I've seen him in college, and I know he didn't get a ton of workload in college because again, you when your freshman year you had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle ahead of you, and then you didn't really play your sophomore and 
junior, your sophomore year because you had a, a running or you had Elijah Holyfield ahead of you. And then his, his junior year, he went off. He had a really good year. So I still think he could potentially be that running back of the future. I, I've heard some rumors, some comparisons of him going with like Barry Sanders. He had, he's one of the best receiving running backs and he's also really fast. I think this Lions team could be one to look at potentially down the line if they keep, if they re-sign Galladay and they re-sign uh, or they keep Swift for a long time, I think this team could be something to look at down the line. I don't know if they're going to be as talented as other teams. I do think – I'm not a fan of Matt Patricia. I've never really been a, a fan of him. I don't think he's – he's really not that great with, like, players. I mean, they had that, like – I remember they had the riot, like, as he – like, the first couple months of him being a coach – so I really never liked him. I do think they need to get him out and bring in an offensive-minded coach. I don't think he works. I don't think he works as a head coach. I think he's just better as a defensive coordinator. So, yeah. It's, and if they go on this stretch coming up and able to go seven and four, their their last five games are a lot more difficult, which would put them back at that possibly like eight and eight range, nine and seven, or seven and nine range, which is where you don't want the Lions to be because that's a scenario where you could convince yourself to keep Patricia. And that's honestly where I could see the Lions heading at this point in time with how their schedule is playing out. And I mean, that would be classic Lions. So I don't know what else we should expect, but in other news around the NFL, the Buccaneers continue to impress against the Raiders here. And that's two really strong weekends in a row where they are dominating football games, Mark. Yeah, at this point, these, this, this is an NFC contender. They are, they are very good. This is a team that not only on defense is consistently ruthless and it's consistently harassing teams, but also they're doing things differently on offense each game. Scotty Miller decided to go off in this game. Uh, and even with the return of Chris Godwin, who was then the second leading receiver, uh, this is a team that can attack in a lot of different ways on offense. And they're growing week by week. I, I'm seeing this team get more and more consistent and become just more of a, a – the, the floor of this team is getting higher and higher as the year goes on. And this defense is going to be the catalyst of that. They are not a team you want to be going up against. The offense is good, but the offense is so good because that defense is constantly serving them up uh, chances to find success. And I think that at this point, I am liking this Buccaneers team more than I was in the NFC South. These guys are really good and they have now, made both Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr two of the least mistake-prone quarterbacks in the NFL not have great days. Derek Carr was able to try and claw his way back into this game, but it was not his brightest performance. And they, this is the biggest thing, they shut down Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs is not a, a shabby running back by any stretch, and they completely locked him down. This defense is for real. And they are, I hate to say it, but they are a fun team to watch. And they are explosive. And they are not going to disappear anytime soon. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one, Mark. I think this Buccaneers offense is already scary enough. I mean, when we first heard the news that Tom Brady was going to the Bucs, we knew – 
there is going to be a cast of people trying to join him. And we saw it with Antonio Brown joining the Buccaneers. My thing with Antonio Brown is I don't know if he is going to – I mean, we've seen it, what, three – I mean, he got out of, out of Pittsburgh, and then he went to the Raiders. Obviously, we remember we remember watching Hard Knocks last year. That was a disaster with him. And then he went to the Patriots, and he barely even played with the Patriots. So I don't know if he's going to be that same wide receiver that he was when he was with the Steelers. I don't know if he ever is going to be. But if he's even half the wide receiver that he was in Pittsburgh at his prime, I think he could be a very capable number one or number two wide receiver for this Buccaneers offense. And I think that's very – it's going to be interesting to see. And that's crazy because they don't even need a number one. They don't need a number two. Quite frankly, with Scotty Miller, they don't even need a number three right now. He's just going to come in and be this new toy for Bruce Arians and Tom Brady to play with. That It's just – it's ridiculous. And it looks like it looks like we're going towards a possible another Tom Brady Super Bowl, which is not something I'd prefer to see. But <laughs> before we, Manning? <laughs> <laughs> but we before we go, since you are a fan of the NFC East team, Patrick, and that is in complete shambles, who who do you have your have your money on thus far into this season? Uh this is completely unbiased as an Eagles fan. I do think them winning that winning against the Giants was a good I think that was a good step in the right way for them. It's a, a huge win, huge win okay. beating the Giants. You know <laughs> no, what? I will take right, I will take I it. Just, I right. will take it. I, I just think that is such a funny perspective that we have to take on this division. We really I mean, we really do at this point. I mean, <laughs> the Eagles are in first place at two, four, and one. I think the biggest thing we have to think about is that tie. That can potentially be the tie. I mean, that could be the tie the tie could be the tiebreaker to get this Eagles team into the playoffs. And that's honestly. I know when I saw that they first tied, I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe we just tied the Bengals. And I think now looking at it in hindsight, that may have been a very smart decision by, by Doug Peterson. I don't think anyone intentionally ties. And no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anyone – in- Oh, God, no. Oh, I mean, of course, I would, I would much rather have us be 3-4-0 three, four, three, four, and oh, instead of 2-4-1 but that's just the NFC East at this point. I mean, even like I don't even I don't even know like what to say about the NFC East. It's just bad. The Cowboys, I mean, without Dak Prescott, that they were fine with Dak Prescott. Everything was completely fine. And the two weeks since Dak Prescott has gone down, pretty much all hell is broken loose in that Cowboys facility. I mean, we saw it a couple of days ago. Like players were calling out coaches. Coaches coaches don't know what they're doing. We saw it yesterday too, with like when Andy Dalton took that like really nasty hit nobody stood up for him nobody went to go try and fake it was astounding it was honestly i was shocked when i didn't see like i was like when i saw that hit i'm like oh god it's gonna be a huge fight nothing and i'm like that's really like that's not good at all like that's usually your team you you're gonna support your quarterback even though it's a backup quarterback you're still gonna support him so when i didn't see anyone fighting like that guy that laid that nasty hit on andy dalton i was like I don't know if I believe this Cowboys team can make the playoffs. And I don't think the Giants are going to – Giants are definitely not going to make it either. So I do think, to answer Connor's question, I do think it's going to be the Eagles making this playoffs. I do think it's probably going to go down to like 6-8-1 and one or like 
something like that where it's just like it's completely to put it lightly it's bonkers it doesn't make any sense but i mean that's 2020 for you yeah i've I've been cheering for i hope a team has two or three ties is is my hope from the nfc east team but that's gonna wrap it up for this week's podcast of first and moose thank you for joining us this week patrick yeah definitely i really appreciate it yeah it was awesome that's gonna wrap it up here Connor Taylor, Mark Schoenster, as always, with a special guest, Patrick McKay. This has been First and Moose on U92 The Moose on 91.7 FM or any podcasting platform. Thanks for listening.